What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into now a non-solo episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast here on this Thursday to recap the loss that was last night, along with previewing our Saturday matchup. Everybody knows we usually have our preview the day before our matchup, but we know the caliber of team it is, and we don't want to overlook Alcorn State at all, but we know the kind of loss it was last night deserves to be uh, talked about right away and Alcorn State, not a whole lot to mention with them. Usually it's like an interview the day before with a player that don't really need to save for. So here we are again, like at the non-solo for the first time in a while, joined by Noah Lurch. And Noah, I think, you know, since we last had one together and since I've been doing them individually, I want to say that's whenever we started our schneid per se and some of our style of play, which we'll get into a lot of, a lot of takeaways from yesterday's game and kind of a look ahead. I'm sure it's good to be back for you and talk, even though it's kind of under bad circumstances with the current team but again maybe you're since you're back that we can maybe you know get rolling a little bit and that's not to say it won't mess up because it obviously we tried it earlier and it messed up didn't think we were going to do it but we'll try it how's it going yeah it's good to be back uh like you've been saying on your uh solo pods that i've been getting the short end of the stick at work and been working through that but um yeah it's been a rough couple games obviously we were able to make that trip to Evansville um, be able to get off work for that but when we want to schedule our pods it's been rough days at work for me but um, it's good to be back but yeah we got some things to discuss last night um, for another poor outcome for us yeah our first conference loss now splitting our first two conference games and you're right because by the time you get done, you know, and we could always end up doing later pods, but it seems not to be necessary when one of us is able. And we know, you know, you did a solo football once and so we're both capable. So it, it's definitely made sense and hope it's been OK for our listeners as well. Like I said, it, it very well could keep happening off and on with how Zoom is treating us right now. We're going to have to figure all that out, maybe find a different platform to do it on or get a hold of them and figure it out. So, yeah, we'll try to do it now for this for this episode. Uh, you're right, and I mentioned everybody on the preview that I wasn't able to make the uh, first half. I was in Carbondale, honestly, right next to campus almost, just had a family affair, which I then I ended up making the second half, and we'll dive into the game here. And a three-point loss to the Red Hot Sycamores was talking about that on the preview. Definitely been the case. Uh, so, like I said, we'll go through the game. We'll get our biggest takeaways. There's a lot. And then we'll there's a net update. We'll update everybody with Kim Pom. Hopefully, and I I you know gave an update on Kennard on the last one. Not sure about anything at this moment. That was only a couple of days ago. And like I said, we'll go through the valley for other games that have been happening. Some hot teams are on the valley per se. And then like I said, we'll we'll quickly preview Alcorn State for Saturday night's game, the first of three of lackluster home non-conference games, which puts us really low in NCAA in terms of home non-conference. So let's dive into this game now. Like I said, I wasn't able to make it. Noah, you barely made it on time to watch this game, and it was another slow start. But before we fully dive into it, you were texting me beforehand of the status of J.D. Mula. As we know, he's dealt with a back injury that's kept him out all year. Um, Wouldn't necessarily say we miss him. We know that he was, you know, going to work his way back and that, you know, near the latter part here, we were wondering who's going to get back first, Scotty or JD. And Noah, we, I think Mike tweeted it out. You told me, and maybe if you got there to even see it, 
JD was dressed, but he was warming up, right? I mean, that's a good sign, and looks like we're going to see him in the next game. Yeah, it's uh, good to see that he's with his back injury, um, be able to get back in the group of things. But we know going through it last year with Trent Brown that um, you're in the be- you want to take it seriously, and obviously he could be back Saturday, but end up. Um, tweaking it in the game or something. It could be out even longer like Trent was last year. But, um, yeah, obviously we don't don't know exactly um, how he's going to fit this team at this point. Um, we'll dive into the rotation things again. But um, just good to see him healthy, um, back warming up, and hopefully ready to go for Saturday night. Yeah, you're right. And we don't know how he's going to fit in because we're already having a kind of a big dilemma as, you know, as everybody has seen and what we saw last night, which yes, we will dive into maybe the style of play has to change and he will change a lot of that maybe in how things have been going. A lot of things have transpired since the start of the year. So, so no diving into this game and I was keeping up with it. You were there to watch it and back-to-back games. Now the start of slew, as we know, you say, yeah, we've made the Evansville made slew back. Glad to be back home our first game in 19 days um, and another slow start. And we remember the slew game was turnover city, unnecessary turnovers thrown in out of bounds. And you're able to see it. I'll let you dive into a little bit just on how we looked. Clearly it wasn't, uh, it was just more sluggish starts. And a couple of the players and Brian were talking about kind of why are they so sluggish? They seem unprepared. I know we've dived into that word a lot this year obviously the USI game and it's been mentioned amongst the team and unpreparedness and it doesn't really make any sense, but you know, dive in, obviously the only thing that was working for us so far in the game outside of allowing them to score a lot, but it was really just a one man show for us for most of the first part of the first half. Yeah, just really, really, I mean, coming off a tough road loss at SLU, um, you come back home, haven't been home in a while and get a home game in front of your fans and, that's just really disappointing the way they came out and played. No energy at all, really sloppy, um, just really sloppy turnovers by Marcus, turnovers by X, missed threes by um, getting some good looks. I mean, Lance, to start the game, got two great looks and uh, missed them both. Then Marcus turned it over, just really sloppy out of the get-go, but um, they jumped out to quick 6-0 lead. Um, then Marcus – had a tough jumper to get us going, but um, it it got all the way to eleven two um, before I'm still Marcus. If Marcus ain't doing anything, it was I'm surprised that um, they subbed in Clarence. He missed the jumper, um, but nobody. It was just really sloppy get go. No offense, really stagnant. It's the let's wait till ten seconds and give it to Marcus and hope he can do something offense. That's exactly what it is, and you're right. I'm kind of glad, and I remember telling you after, like, yeah, I kind of want to go back and watch the first half just to see, you know, see it with my own eyes and see what happened, but I could just tell with the game cast that it wasn't going well. And and Brian mentioned how they kind of run the same action and kind of do the same things offensively as SLU, and they were cutting right in front of us for layups. I mean, they lived in the pain in this game as well, and they were led by Cam, uh, Cam Henry to start, which, as we know, I mean, no, they started a big, and I mentioned it kind of on the preview, 
uh, I think I was I wasn't right on the starting five because they ended up starting Macaulay, which we'll give it. We'll get into him. He's he's maybe a new villain inside the conference. Uh, we'll dive into that, but he joined the starting five, and uh, as we know, Cooper Nice, who started against Drake, and they haven't seen him yet. And people are talking after the game. We'll still see him in a couple weeks. So weird injury. I really don't know anything about. Maybe if you've seen something on there, but Macaulay joined the starting five, and that's a that's a big five. You had Jason Kent, who's six six, Macaulay six five, Cam six four. So Gibson, who's a new player, as we know, he's six four, and then obviously the big man Robbie Avila, who gave us fits in this game, and he was a part of this early run, and like I said, they were letting guys just cut in front of him for layups. I mean Noah. I'll let you dive into Robbie a little bit. We, obviously, we can't throughout the rest of this game, but uh, he's so good. And, I, you know, they talked to Josh before the game uh, or the day before with Rodney and saying how, you know, they, were, they recruited him a certain way. Jason Kent didn't take any visits anywhere else. They wanted to play together. He almost went to UNI. Josh mentioned it was either us or UNI, and he said, well, Southern was in there a little bit. And that disappoints us, Noah, because he's every bit of good and we'll get into the ridiculousness of how we played against him in the second half, but know your thoughts on him because they're running everything through him. And obviously early on they were, and it seemed like we couldn't guard him and wondering why the heck certain people weren't defending him. Yeah, it's definitely easy. He was a really, really good high school basketball player. Um, just watching him as a freshman, um, the way the game, the pace of the game isn't too fast, isn't too fast for him. Just the way he handles himself definitely reminds you um, of Cam Crutwig for Loyola. I mean, he was compared to him in high school. Um, Prep Hoops Illinois said he was the best passer, passing big man in high, that they've seen since Crutwig. So, um, but he's got a, a little bit of different game than Cam. Um, he can stre- he can step out and hit that three ball. Um, yeah, I never thought that there was a chance um, that he would end up at Indiana State, but. They got a really good one. Um, just the way he's out there, I mean, there was one play in the first half. He went behind the back. He didn't finish the layup, but um, just incredible that a big man. If you look, if anybody walked in the gym and looked at the guy, you wouldn't think he was a really yeah. good basketball player. But um, he's a really good one. Um, then the Cooper Nice injury, he has a uh, a bone bruise. There's no ligament damage. He's expected to miss two to four weeks. So. He'll be back for them before conference, but um, Cooper's a an all all conference team member from last year that they're missing, and they're just as good without him. Exactly, that's why I'm saying, hey, Cooper, take your time, man. We can take care of because we mentioned I mentioned before we were talking, and obviously you haven't been able to get on here and speak the same sentiment. Is that we're waiting for them to have that key road game or road win. You know, they haven't really – they beat Miami of Ohio, who was ranked terribly. They haven't – they won on a neutral court and then beat Drake at home. They haven't really done anything on the road, and they did it in this game. And they did it on our home court, which we deem ourselves a pretty good home team. And just the way of a team that we are, we thought, obviously, it was, it was like a four-point spread. We were favorites to start, uh, which we knew we were talking before. It's like, yeah, take the plus in this one. It's going to be a close one, and that it was it barely – well, yeah, I mean, they covered, but it was a three-point game at the end of it. But more on their end, and you're right. I mean, 
Cam is more – Cam definitely couldn't shoot. And we know he plays overseas, whether he's developed a shot or not. I don't think he ever did in his time as, you know, as it went on. Uh, yeah, Robbie is, is to some known as a great shooter and one of his best qualities. We'll get into that. But he can definitely do everything. You can see the similarities, but definitely because Robbie can stretch the floor, definitely sets him apart. Not saying he's obviously better to this point. We know Cam was a center on the Final Four team. So Robbie has a lot to live up to in that comparison. We know Kyler Filowich, who's doing good things at Walford. I saw another tweet recently that mentioned, oh, he's a thought he was Cam Crutt. We got a high score. People saying he still was, which is crazy. We know how that plays out. So back to the game here. Obviously, uh, Robbie did his own thing. And you mentioned Marcus. Ten seconds left, find him. Maybe he'll get it in the post and just get banged up. Maybe he was getting fouled. We're hoping he could get fouled more, but he definitely had our first six points. It was good to see Jawan get on the board. He had a, a nice offensive game, which we were harping on that he definitely needs to. And no, we, I mean, they, Brian was subbing right away in this game. And, you know, maybe it was two of the three, I would say. I mean, Cade didn't play, unfortunately, but you see, uh, Definitely one was surprising. We know, like, Foster, he was in at this point. He's been playing a lot, played really good down the stretch, had a really good game. We'll jump into him as well. But, Noah, seeing A.J., and I was texting with you, and I saw how A.J. shot a couple free throws, and then I asked you when I got there of how it happened if he created his own shot. Weird seeing him in this game, and but, Noah, he fits exactly what we think we would need against a team like this. They have crazy length, you know, of just that versatile wing kind of, you know, play that AJ should be able to match. And I'm sure he didn't play a whole lot when he got out there. What did you see from him? And, and honestly, I think you told me that we've kind of been seeing the same kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, when he got out there, uh, immediately he picked up a foul because Dalton Banks turned it over. Um, he fouled the guy on the other end. Um, but after that, um, Jawan knocked down a jumper, but AJ got a steal. And he got fouled on the fast break and knocked down one of two. Uh, that's what he's going to bring to the team with his length. He can get in the passing lanes and um, use his length to get cause some turnovers. Um, then on the offensive end, I mean, like we've been talking about with some of these guys, that they just get thrown in there and expect to be able to jump in right away without any flow of the game to get going. Um, but he's one that. I mean, we've been wanting to see a little bit out of him, see what he has, and he just hasn't got the opportunity. Obviously, early on in the year, he got some moments, but um, it's just tough. I mean, the guy that hasn't played, didn't play, barely played. I don't even remember. Did he play Saturday? I don't even remember if he – barely if he did. Um, just expect him to come in there and do stuff, uh, trying to play – trying to provide some depth for us, but – at this point, I just don't see much out of him um, at this point. It's sad because we talked about the comparisons of what he is is what we want Jawan to be. And sitting AJ, honestly, I think just because he is so raw, I mean, he was a good player at D2, but you can't come to this kind of level yet and, you know, expect him to contribute. We would have loved him to and expected him to. And, yeah, he's shown glimpses, but it seems like he deserved a red shirt as well to refine some more of those skills and – you're right, he had the steal. Maybe he was in that mode of once he gets in and gets going a little bit, he can get really confident, kind of play out of control. But And, yeah, he's not going to get a longer run. If he's playing like that, it just takes him a little bit longer before he can get zoned in, quote-unquote, that I get he won't ever get a run like that. But 
You're right. It, it was just weird seeing him in there. Maybe Brian just wanted to try something new in that moment. But we mentioned Foster was in as well. And I mean, we I talked about it that Josh takes pride in the fact that a lot of their guys don't play over 30 minutes. They literally all of them play under 30 minutes a game. He spreads it out because I'm just looking here outside of Cam, who is constantly giving us buckets to when it was keep hand, you know, hovering around a 10 point lead. X was missing three, something he hasn't really done. The last two games, as we know, he was the reigning MVP player of the week. He missed a three, had a turnover, and you just see guys like Caden McKnight make a three. You see, you know, and there were stretches with no scoring. And, you know, seeing – and I, I didn't even see him in the first half, but seeing Lance miss layups. And we saw a key one in the second half. But then it was Julian Larry having a layup. Trenton Gibson had a four, you know, or a three – or a, finished an and one and off more of our turnovers. And it was just constant. And – Constant, you know, Marcus, again, having to rely on him and said Lance made a three that cut it to an 11 point lead. But again, and we'll talk about it more that every time we score and need a bucket to get back in it, this was slew did. And that's what Indiana State was doing in this half was after Lance a three, Trenton Gibson layup, Jawan jumper, Cam Henry jumper, just we were giving it right back to him. And that was a key stretch for Jawan here. He had a 5-0 run for us. Jason Kent was getting layups. We want him to kind of shoot, but he was, he's so like, He's got a great physique, and he's able to get in the paint and score. And then Noah looks like Lance made a three, or Jason had some more free throws, fouled them, and then Lance had a three before the half. So an 11-point deficit, and we weren't tweeting anything. I don't even know what a first-half box score was like. It wouldn't have mattered. It wasn't pretty. Um, we weren't tweeting at all in this game. I feel like you know by the time I got there and it was just too late to go, even though we made a run, which, as we know, was a key run. So, no, like, 11-point deficit, not looking great at all. Looked like the game was honestly overall depending because we – and it was different in this game, but we knew we were bad or a really good first-half team, bad second-half team. And this was one of the few, maybe the only game where it was the opposite of that. But, no, let's dive into this second half and how it played out by the time I got to sitting where we were. And it was good to see Troy get on the board. We know he's barely scored previous games and not getting a whole lot of looks. And he, he had a three X got a layup. So we were kind of carving back. It was, I think it was before I got to my seat, actually, because I remember looking at the board, cut at the six. And then, no, it was a, what is this? A seven O lead or seven O run for them before we took a timeout. Then it was official timeout, 13 point game. Trent got a three. So, no, I mean, just every single time again that we would claw back, they would match us before we were to go on that huge run, which I can let you dive into. And, but I'll, I'll, I'll end it on my part before you take over is uh, after McCullough made a couple free throws is seeing Foster with a three. And this was whenever Marcus wasn't hitting any of his shots, really. But he just had a simple screen after we you know got through half court and it was early in the shot clock. And Foster made a three and mentioned how he played a little in the first half. And we'll get to his minutes. He's in the closing lineup, to be honest, the last couple couple games. And we're over there screaming about – that's what happens when he plays, and that's how you call back in the games or threes. And, no, I mean, that is what it is. I mean, he comes in and his immediate offense. He touches it, he scores. That's literally what he's been all year, and we still wonder the same stuff. Take us out through most of this run that we had. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been waiting for this moment for all his season to see this kid get the more minutes. And there's several players on this team that have proven – they need more minutes, and they just aren't getting them for some reason. And other guys just continue to not make not make any impact, and they get minutes over them. But yeah, this is a big run for us where 
a lot of guys were involved. After that Foster three, um, X got involved. Clarence back-to-back layups. Foster had another three. Clarence got another layup. Uh, Marcus got fouled to cut it to four with 11, just uh, just above 11 minutes left in the game. Um, X got another layup. Um, then Foster um, got the ball in the corner on a fast break, pump fade, and got to the rim. They tied up with nine, 34 left. Um, so many guys getting involved. I mean, I said Marcus's name once, and he made two free throws in that little run. It was the Clarence's who doesn't get enough minutes. It was Foster's. X finally has came alive. And the name you don't hear in that because Lance Jones was on the bench. I mean, it's to that point where there's moments – I can't watch him play anymore. It's bad. It's bad basketball. So we've went to a lineup that's working, and at times we don't see this lineup enough. Exactly, and I recall saying how the slew game was kind of – and we don't even know if Lance and or Marcus were in that one. One of them was in that, and that was that included Cade, and obviously that's not the case in this game. And you're right. And even to this point, Noah's whenever, you know – when Clarence did score that one, it was there. They every time Clarence gets in the paint, they give him baseline, and he knows it every time. You would think if they watch tape on the guy, that's what he does every single time. And he killed Cam Henry on it, and we'll talk about it. They were going, they're quote unquote small, which Robbie wasn't in the game yet. And Clarence worked in baseline and got a reverse layup. I mean, it was perfection. Clarence had no, I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to click out of the certain play-by-play, and we'll look at the end. I don't think he had any fouls in this game. And we know that's been a factor of, you know, okay, Clarence isn't in the game because he's in foul trouble. And that really hasn't been the case. And we mentioned before, it's like they're limiting him for some reason. But after he scored and look, and he's shooting 70% on the season, and he comes out and isn't in this stretch, no, when they bring Robbie back in, and you said most of it there. And whenever we did take the – whenever we did tie it on that Foster play, which you're right, great to see Foster – because at the beginning of the year, we saw him get guys in the air, and he was, you know, not really wanting to take that dribble. And just with the jump shot, he was looking to pass. But this time he was able to drive. He had a wide open lane, finished layup. And then Jawan had a layup. And then it was nothing. We kept getting stops. And we said, as soon as you get the lead, and Brian was asked this at the end of the game, you got to capitalize. When you get two or three stops after you take the lead, you got to capitalize. And they didn't do it. I mentioned, uh, McCauley was a menace. I didn't see him here at some point. We'll see his technical foul. But, no, you said it in the moment. There was way too much time in the game. When we had lead, and even after Clarence scored, he called a timeout, and then we gained the lead, you know, after that, that there was still a lot of game left. And we said at that eight-minute mark is whenever it kind of went downhill because, again, we weren't taking advantage. It was back and forth and lead and not. But – we went small, and Noah, I mean, just thinking about that lineup, and this will be one of our biggest takeaways. We'll dive into it again, but the fact that in this moment now, when Robbie came back in, that what was the lineup? It was it was Marcus at the five, so Marcus was guarding Robbie, which Marcus is strong enough, but he's not a great defender enough, and Robbie had his moments. He had some layup here in this stretch, uh, and who was it? Was, let me see here. Lance, Marcus. I'll let you dive into what that was if you wouldn't care. And then obviously dive into a little bit more of this run they were on, which we had a couple miss, you know, layups that Marcus and Lance had that screwed us. And, but it was honestly, no, we talked about it just being out coached at the end here and failed to execute. Yeah, definitely. Right at the under eight timeout when we, we had that two point lead, 
I turned to you and our other friend. I said, way too much time that we'll go cold here and uh, won't make any adjustments. And that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, like you said, in that in that lineup right there, um, Marcus was at the five. It was Lance, Xavier, uh, Trent, and Foster. Um, really small lineup. I mean, they were I going small. Going small with Troy at the five is one thing. Putting Marcus at the five, which we've seen a little bit at SLU, um, I just don't get it. I get it. You can switch, but there's guys, there's big men on this team that can switch and guard uh, guards as well. But Brian just doesn't see that way, and they went on this little run where um, they get a three by McCauley. Um, he's a – guy that's making big time shots for them right now. Um he struggled a little bit in this game. Um right after that, Lane's got a layup to cut it back to one. Marcus got a layup to retake the lead. Then Robbie um with Robbie Avila took over for a little stretch. Um they took a one point lead again. Then he got another layup um to make it a three point game. Um then McCauley got another layup to make it a five point game. Foster's hit another big three to get Cut it to two, but right then and there, no, no, no getting a stop. Uh, Cam Henry hits a hit hits one in, in the paint, which they lived in it all night. Whether it was Avila, Cam Henry, Jason Kent getting easy looks in the paint. Um, then after after we missed a sh- after a turnover by X, Jason Kent gets an easy layup to make it a six point game. Um, then after a turnover by Marcus, which he was one of those things where we give it to him last second and try to make something happen, and there's just too too much pressure on one on one man show, and he turns it over. Robbie gets another layup um, to put it at eight, and that was it from there. Pretty much, we got a late three by X, um, but most of the most of the arena was empty by that time. Exactly. Everyone started, and we'll get into even what was coming out of the crowd there near the end. And I don't see it on my play-by-play. I don't remember exactly when it was. I was looking for free throws by Marcus, technical free throws. That doesn't show for me on here for some reason unless I just scrolled past it. And that was whenever we mentioned McCauley, who, you know, every time he would score, you know, he he would get, you know, uh, confident. But he one time he scored or hit a three – and then went back and stared down. Actually, that was before he got teed up on reacting to whoever, our bench or something. And no, I think I remember beforehand because we mentioned JR. He was kind of yelling at some other player. Like there was some kind of animosity at one point between a timeout when it was tied or we had the lead even that kind of built it up. And I guess I got McCauley going. So again, he did whatever he scored and then got the technical. Marcus made the free throws. We didn't score, which they were looking at it. Gave it a timeout. You said, okay, Marcus, you make make these free throws. We get the ball that score. We didn't score out of that. And then McCauley again scored and looked and yelled at Brian and our way, and they didn't even tee him up. But as soon as we called the timeout or whatever, then the ref went back over to talk to him. Sketchy ref play again in this one. Not surprising. But so that happened in between there. And, you know, he, he's that kind of player that he's good enough and leads you in scoring enough that you can at times – and I don't know if this has happened with him yet this year – just happened in this game, I guess. And Josh knows him really well to know, like, you know, it can it can hurt us in games, but we know him enough to uh, that I can calm that down, I guess. He was looking at it that way. Uh, 
but you're right. It's, you know, all that happened. And until they went on this run when Marcus was guarding Robbie's, whenever he was getting, wasn't really getting in the post. He was kind of just beating Marcus off the dribble. And you mentioned the turnover Marcus had. Yeah, you're right. He was kind of, he was trying to just make something happen. There was time taken off the clock around a minute left. And he tried to go behind the back and just lost it. That led to points on the other end. You're right. Kent scored one of the easiest layups I've ever seen. Um, and as soon as Robbie hit that eight, that layup to get it to eight, but Noah, it was within the minute whenever Marcus did turn it over and we were guarding him and they were bringing it up. They were letting all the time take off down six and Brian wasn't fouling. The fans were yelling him to foul when it seems like, you know, and he just knows, Oh, they're just a great free throw shooting team. I guess so you don't even risk it. Our dog pound, it wasn't as good as what it is on the road. It wasn't in that game. So we weren't really getting any fans going when they were shooting free throws. It's like he just knew they were going to make them. So then it's an eight-point game, and then you're in a rut. Get a stop, but, you know, time isn't on your side. So people were frustrated at that before, you know, Robbie did put the dagger in it. And you're right, we were already out the door whenever they made back-to-back threes. X made one, and then Tripp made one. So the final score wasn't really an indication of how it truly went. We just had to slop up shots. Uh, So a three-point loss, and – Again, I mean, a game where it wasn't pre- – and obviously we didn't win. Like I mentioned, 80% in some games where we thought we win, but we couldn't close. In this game, you just had the glimmer of whatever in that second half, but you're not able to sustain. And that's been a rooting cause of a lot of our defeats in the last couple of years. So now let's quickly dive into the box score before we get into takeaways, uh, you know, and – just seeing on their end saying how they had four guys in double figures and Gibson had nine ended up. Uh, Robbie had 12 and only had two rebounds. And no, I think one of those lamps was a tip back offensive board that he had, which was, which were the last points of one of his rebounds, one of his offensive rebounds. Cam Henry at 15 and 12. I mentioned he was just on fire to start the game for them and kept it going. Kent had 10. I mean, he needs to be good for them. And he is McCauley had 16 then. Three of eight from three, uh, and then five of 13 from the field. Kayla, and they didn't get a whole lot of bench production. They had, what is that, uh, 12 bench points. So, you know, they didn't, Bledson didn't score. He kills us here. So their bench, which we mentioned, could start another place around the Valley, Noah. Dive in quickly to our box score for I might get some quotes and then we'll get into our biggest takeaways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a team where um, Xavier Bledson was a six man. Six man of the year candidate last year. Um, he was my pick for six man, and he's down to six minutes. Cade McKnight only plays two, but it's a big three in this one. Um, Stevens' minutes are down, but um, just a really solid, solid depth. Um, that's without Cooper Nice, like we talked about. But yeah, I mean, Marcus leading the way again. He was 37 minutes, way too high again. Um, need to find the ways to get him rest. He was 7 of 14, 0 of 2 from 3, 2 of 2 from the line this one. Had four rebounds, four assists. Did have five turnovers, but just, like I said, too much pressure on a one-man show um, not to have any. 16 points. X still another strong game. 13 points, 6 of 9 shooting. Only 1 of 2 from 3 this game. He's been hitting a lot of threes. Um, Three rebounds, four assists. He also had four turnovers, but um, without Lance – doing anything it's Marcus or Xavier with the ball in their hands um Foster four of six three of five from three in 20 minutes of play had 11 points really solid 
Jawan gave us nine last night, four or six from the field in 24 minutes. Um, but the big one, Clarence, only eight minutes, four points, four rebounds. Um, disappointing. Other guys. No eight, fouls. Yeah, no fouls. A.J. Um, had only had the one free throw in his eight minutes with a rebound and a steal. Dalton Banks didn't do anything. Um, Lance. People, let me tell you, I, I said it's hard to watch this man. Three of 14 from the field, two of eight from three, eight points, six rebounds. Unless he's playing Evansville, this guy ain't going to do anything besides a strong stretch against Oklahoma State in about a four-minute stretch. It's bad basketball. It's it's to the point where closing lineups, I don't want him on the floor because he may screw something up or take a bad shot. It's bad. Three of 14, he's shooting awful. Um, but – I mean, we shot 48% from the field. We got 10 threes out of this team, 38%, 10 of 26. Only got to the line six times, and two of those were a technical free throws. 25 bench points. Uh, it's just times of going cold, and um, your second-best player in Lance Jones is still, still yet to be found. Maybe he's still playing over there in the Ford Center. I don't know, but – just another disappointing life loss in this one, back-to-back losses. Um, we have a lot to dive into because we got a lot of takeaways. Yeah, and we've said so many times about, you know, this is what Lance is. And you're right, there are times where he doesn't need to be playing because he'll turn it over. And even thinking about four points he had in Evansville, that were or five, I guess, it's the deepest of threes, which we know we can – make and not at a great clip and then the circus shot layup. I mean, it's hard to believe that he is arguably the worst he's been in his career as a four-year senior. It honestly doesn't make any sense to mention how he's good at one thing every season of his career. And and then he, you know, just falters and isn't anything in his last year because talked about how his best year was his sophomore year. Well, that was when Marcus was hurt. We didn't have him. We were a bad team, and Lance was able to lead us and play efficiently and do everything whenever we were bad. And that's the only way, you know, I guess Lance can fully get going individually. But, you know, there were times in this game where Foster should have had a couple more threes, and it was our two best players that selfishly kept the shots. I want to say when I remember seeing Marcus's, he could have kicked it. I think there was a guy a little bit more in the passing lanes at the angle than Lance's. Lance had somebody on his right side. Foster was just right there on his left and didn't. And we kept saying swinging around the three-point line and Martin Foster was there for one. And it was good to see Foster active and wanting to pass on the fast break that we were trying to find him. And some guys were finding him, just couldn't get some shots off. But you're right. I mean, I don't even know. You're right. And it's almost like we mentioned, and some people were saying, oh, he came off the bench against Alabama in the exhibition. What a guy. What a second-team all-conference. What a heck of a guy for – Coming off the bench, and honestly, it looks decent now, the potential of it. Not, not sure we're going to do it. It almost seems like you need to fix something up. And we were mentioning how what you do, and maybe with J.D. back, that changes something in some facet. Bring Lance off the bench, and you not saying you maybe start Jawan, maybe, but you start Foster because he played – yeah, he did play 20 minutes, needs to play more. I thought I was going to touch on something else that you were discussing before we do get in those takeaways. I did have some quotes. Let's go through team stats real fast. I guess it was that that you mentioned with some of the team stats. Yes, out shooting them from the field, out shooting them from three, 
And what ended up being the difference was free throws. I mean, they missed some at the very end there that kept the Senate getting those threes to get it to the final score. But yeah, and it was the case. That's why it's weird. We shoot two free throws against Evansville. Granted, it's a blowout. You're not going to get the contests. You're not going to get all that stuff. Six in this game. We were 17 of 20 against SLU. That's why it's weird. It is. You never know what kind of game can play out and stuff and how you can just – and that shows you an inconsistent team when you're not consistent. You don't draw somewhere near the same amount of – you know through your offense, the same amount of fouls to be able to get the looks and stuff. They just don't happen, and that ended up being the difference. They barely out-rebounded us. They had one more assist. They had nine steals. And, the, and we mentioned how – I think I mentioned on the preview, they have an equal same amount of steals as us. And that's saying a lot because that's really what we do. I think this is the first game in a long time Lance didn't have one. Uh, we know he averages a little over two a game. They had nine to our two. We did have more blocks in them, but we did have more turnovers, six more actually. And then we mentioned technical fouls. They had the one. Their biggest lead was 14. Guess what ours was? Two points. So definitely not great. But, again, you do everything just as good. They only had three more offensive possessions than you. Maybe that's the fact that – we had 15 turnovers, so they had three more shots, and you still made the same amount of field goals. You held them cold for a little bit and couldn't get the job done. Uh, so let me go through some things Brian said here before we get into those, and then we have an all-time scoring list update from from uh, Mike that I'll mention as well. Brian said, we didn't get off to the start we needed to. I thought our guys came back and played hard in the second half, but it's hard to beat a really good team when you only play well for 15 to 20 minutes. We have to do a better job offensively and defensively for 40 minutes if we want to beat some of these high-level teams that we faced over the last two games. And then he said we had a couple decent looks that didn't fall, and then for the second game in a row, some bad turnovers. Playing at home, we have to come out with a better start and set the tone with our energy. And he had some quotes on Foster as well, which we know that. So, Noah, with that being said, let's get into our biggest takeaways of this game. Or Actually, I mentioned the scoring list. Let me dive into that real fast. Marcus is 28th now. 1,218 points right behind Chris Lowry and Sean O'Brien, and he'll be reaching them. He'll be in the top 20 before we know it, and that's where Kai Nurnberger stays. We got 22 for Armand, or Armand on that list. Randall Falker, we said, I said we saw him on Saturday. 23rd, Chris Carr, great career. We know he talked to the players a couple years ago. Some great all-time players on this team that Marcus is going to keep joining, Mark, and Lance isn't too far behind him. Lance is right behind, one point behind Troy Hudson, who did it in only 55 games of 1,100 points. He's behind him, Carlton Fay, and Stetson Harrison. Like I said, great names on this list, and both of them keep climbing as time goes on. I remember a couple episodes ago I was talking about Marcus's all-time scoring, whatever, if he remains here and you know gets to that point. So, And I mentioned in about four years, it'll be five years, but with his missed year, it'll be barely over four years at time, so it'll equate out perfectly. No, no, like I said, with that being said, let's dive into some of these takeaways. And I think, obviously, the more tough starts, we mentioned how I mentioned earlier that we've had really good first halves and bad second halves. And I guess the only two examples you can pinpoint of that was yesterday and Oklahoma State. I don't remember what the halftime score was of Oklahoma State. Either we were losing by not a whole lot or winning by a whole lot. I don't recall. But we know we had like a 12, 13, 14-point comeback to end up getting us that win. I think they're the only two examples. And then, Noah, because I sent it to you and we have them both here. We'll dive through them. And even some that hit you in your mind, feel free. Uh, again, maybe if, if you want some thoughts on that tough starts, we don't know what the team can do about that clearly. Just be more, quote-unquote, prepared like they seem to always not be. 
But Noah, the second thing on this list is Marcus just needing help. And you saw in the first half, you saw it yourself with how he was just having to do everything himself offensively. No, but more stagnant, which, again, you're not a very good team if that remains. We're almost 10 games in now. Go dive in your thoughts on those and then take us through some other ones. Like I said, feel free to come up with some more if you think of some. Yeah, it's just really – it's really frustrating what this staff is doing offensively. And Brian said it again in the post game that we got to rely on our defense to win games, which I'm just tired of hearing because – you, you, this isn't 2007, Brian. You got to score more than 55 points to win games. Um, just this offense. I don't know what kind of offense they are running. If you've seen, I've seen it in the past two games. Slew ran one of the best offenses that I've seen in a while, and the way Indiana State played, it looked really impressive last night. So, um, there's stretches when we make runs. Our offense is playing at a quicker tempo instead. It, it seems like we score about six, seven points and uh, then decide to go back to that half-court half bull crap, which, I mean, I know guys get tired because of the way we play defensively, but we just need to play at a quicker pace um, to get better looks because when X and Lance are downhill, that means that Trent and Foster are getting open looks from three or they can dish off to – if Clarence is the game, maybe Troy or find Marcus even whenever he's open. But, um, yeah, it's, this is another thing where Marcus Marcus needs help. And he's not getting it. Obviously, he's not getting it when Lance doesn't show up, um, is playing this poorly. Uh, but Xavier, um, he's giving you what you need. Foster finally getting the time. He's going to give you some. Um, the Another big, big thing is Clarence. Four points and four rebounds in eight minutes. He would give you he'd give you ten and six if he he got more minutes. Which I don't understand this rotation. This is one of the biggest mysteries of all of why Clarence Rupert does not get more minutes. Um, why Cade Cade isn't getting minutes? We burned his red shirt for no freaking reason to play against Tennessee damn state. I mean this staff and what they're handling. It's a young staff and they look like year four like. It's year one, and like they're they don't know what they're doing. I mean, and Mike Reese was asked about it um, once again in the post game, and Brian refused, said that Mike was wrong basically, which Mike was right. Brian just denying it. Why Clarence is in the game, had no fouls this game. No, he's picked up a couple quick ones here and there, but why he isn't getting minutes? What is going on? I and mean, you got JD or Scotty coming back. Well, if we're playing small ball, there's no minutes for them. So, and if there is minutes for them, that means Clarence is coming out of the game, which nobody wants to see happen. So it's really starting with this staff and spending, starting with the head man. I mean, we're paying this guy half a million dollars to do a very bad job to get out coached. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, it's so so frustrating. But a lot of the Sluky fans are just terrible fans and they would give this guy a lifetime contract um, to be a 500 team. And that's just not okay in year four. Um, it's just so frustrating. Marcus needs help. You're getting guys to start to chip in. Jawan's starting to come around. X has found a groove foster. Now um, Trent gives you has been giving you six a game. Lance just can't go three or 14. I mean, this is year four and they've yet to find a guy that come in 
and help those two out. Yes, Alexis X has stepped up last couple of games. Lance hasn't been there besides Evansville. Um, it's year four. I mean, we've talked about it. There's guys you can bring in, but I, I don't care what any Saluki fans about say about Macaulay. Yeah, he's a hothead and he can be a real dumbass sometimes. But that guy is a – when we need a bucket, when Marcus can't get an open shot or Lance is struggling and other guys, that guy will give you a bucket whenever he wants. And that's the type of guy we saw a little bit from Cash last year, had some good games, but um, you saw it You saw it Saturday. X had a really good game. It was like Tulsa last year with Cash. Had a really good game, still lost to the better team because you don't have enough around those guys, so – in year four, it's really frustrating at this point with this coaching staff. Things have to change, make adjustments here and there, but it really starts with the main guy. I don't know what his deal is with playing playing big, saying Clarence can't switch on the guards, saying we saying that Robbie Avila's best thing is shooting three balls. I and saying there's miscommunicate miss not having the guys ready, miscommunicating with some scouting report stuff. Well that that all goes back to him. So um Paying a guy half a million dollars to do a very bad job, and he heard it last night. There were boos. I I was probably the first one. I mean, I've been in that arena plenty of times, getting stares from Barry Henson. And when I started booing last night, and people joined in, it shocked me because too many Saluki fans love this guy much. I love the guy too. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the best players we've had or have in this program. But it's time to start stirring the pot because I've had enough. I'm not going to watch a 500 team um, because where this team, this program needs to go, it needs to ha- start happening now. No doubt. There's a lot there. Um, yeah. I mean, when you said that the staff coaches like they're in their first year and that's the case, because we saw them kind of looking at each other, you know, in certain points of when or when and who to sub, they didn't really, like they're so in the moment with moves that they want to make that they don't. And that's what comes to the preparedness again, that it's not like they watch film on Indiana state to know what happens, you know, with how they run. And since it's the exact same thing, okay, we'll do similar things to what you're doing at slew, which wasn't working. I guess that's kind of what played a part was back-to-back games of giving up way too much in the paint. And, we mentioned how maybe if they sacrifice some of their defense for offense, but that's not planned of what's going on. Like if I were to talk to Brian, I'd ask him like, is this because, and they would just say, we're just not playing good defensively. I don't know if he would ever agree, you know, to the, to the notion of sacrificing offense for, or defense for offense. Cause that's what we've been doing. We've been scoring over 70 points three times now toward 80 against Evansville, 72 against SLU and then 71 against this one. We're doing great in that regard, and we said, well, once we get these three games coming up, our points per game will rise, but it's been doing that with against good teams. So it just defense has taken a hit. I'm not sure why exactly, but it boils down to, as you said, Robbie can stretch the floor. He's shooting good from three. He is still 6'9", and is so finesse. Like I said, whenever Marcus was guarding him, he was beating him off the dribble to the rim, and it's different when you go small and you think, oh, Clarence can't switch, which is a total lie. You've worried about him getting fouls. It's not like he had four fouls down the stretch there and you didn't want to throw him in and get his fifth. He had zero, as we've said. And when you have a six foot one Lance, a six foot one Xavier, a six foot Trent, Foster, thankfully, is six four. 
And then you got Marcus at six six guard and there's six nine freshman who's a stud. Like that's your small ball and that's your ability to switch. And Trent was on McCauley a lot down the stretch, did a decent job. It was just and there's a recipe now to finally beat our offense, and that's cutting in front, setting a whole lot of screens, making us switch, and getting mismatches. And a lot of Valley teams are definitely looking at that and licking their chops on the potential of how to beat this. Um, you're right. I mean, and there's and there's a lot of frustrated fans around us, and rightfully so. And you're right. You can't be this far into a tenure – and know that where this team was picked. And I just remember talking beforehand, like, yeah, we improved. People can look to see who we added. And it all just took time. That's why people and coaches and everybody always says it doesn't mean anything in the preseason until it plays out. Team People, we were picked third. People were thought they were picking a second. Rocco Miller wants to jinx us, putting us as a 12 seed, the only Valley team in his NCAA tournament. I didn't like it initially, like thinking, oh, well, it, gives, it gets us excited, but it's like kind of a false kind of hope of what it could be, knowing that anything can happen at any moment. And after we beat Oklahoma State, we thought we were going to live up to it all. And then you have these stinkers. And and Brian does take a lot of, you know, he takes a lot of the blame at the end of the day. And you don't need every single game to where if you lose, you know, the coach should take. We hear Nick Hill say all the time, it starts with me. And he took flack, as we know, and we haven't even discussed the end of football yet even discuss that on his end brian taking a lot of the blame you can't do it every game it's either you get outplayed in general and the other team was just better than you that night you can add in but you can't keep saying that i didn't have the guys ready and we didn't whatever because that obviously looks bad on you and that gives an indication to fans that okay yeah this is the same old crap every year of inconsistency that the fact that you have to say that doesn't allude to anything well um you're right on mccauley like i said if you have a guy that can score like that, for sure, just knowing that in the moment, if Josh was second, because the technicals gave us, you know, still around that lead and there was still so much time left, but Josh said, okay, you know, you can do that. And we're still looking fine. We're still calm enough to be able to go down and score and get stops and finish the game. And he didn't like freak out per se. So you're right. It's, it, it can't, and seeing like AJ early in the game, whether he can have a good two days of practice beforehand to earn it, you would think that what do they do in practice that they don't earn the right anyway? So what, why does throwing AJ in this game outside of thinking it's a decent matchup, throwing him in randomly when you haven't thrown him in all year, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. And there's no doubt that Cade, I think could come in and do okay against Robbie freshman on freshman. I just don't think there's any way that he could go out there and play worse when Clarence wasn't on the court and you had Marcus Garden. I'm not saying you play Cade down the stretch, but playing him at all. And you're right burning the red shirt you need to play him every game if you're gonna burn it play him every game and you're right it's whether it's messing up the lineup messing with anything and you touched on a lot of great points there on how we should feel you know even nine games into the year it stinks that we're saying all this and it's a good indication it's around the 10 game mark you could even say it at the five game mark of what kind of team you are and you're through the non-con of tough games and we'll get and we had on here, you know, playing the next three games aren't going to do anything for us. It'll get our points per game up. We'll win by 20 or more, maybe. and But it doesn't do anything for us. It'll do something for some of the fans that show up that are casual and just say, oh, what a great game it was. Not looking at who it is and that it does nothing for us moving forward. Because just fathoming the early part of the conference schedule that we have for us, 
that's going to be hard, and that's why you needed that game because Murray State's going to have a at least 20 or more game home winning streak when you play them the third conference game of the year. Then you host Belmont and you host Drake. Just not easy. And we knew no game going to the conference season was going to be a gimme at all, maybe against Evansville per se. But some other teams have picked it up a little bit. You're right, and you can't afford – and it is nine games in now that we think certain ways about – about a lot of stuff. And Noah boils down to playing your best players. I think that's one of the biggest things on here. Jawan averages over 20 minutes a game. We like to think he's one of our best players. He's not really playing like it. He did have however many, what, nine points. And we mentioned how his defense isn't great. His on-ball defense isn't great. He's still trying to set charges and stuff. But in terms of, like, having him into the notion, Trent's playing well enough. Because there was a time whenever, you know, Brian's been doing the subbing in offense and defense. And there was a time where Trent's arguably the best defender on the team outside of Lance, and Lance is only good in the passing lanes. Trent's the best on-ball defender we have on the team. And you take him out on a defensive possession for Dalton, who's struggling mightily and couldn't guard me at the moment, I don't think. He was good against what's-his-name from Cal Baptist, and we haven't seen anything with him since, and he's been so inconsistent. That kind of move doesn't make sense, and you're obviously going to get more offensive production from Dalton or from Trent than Dalton right now. It is that I think the the minutes definitely is probably the biggest thing. And like I said, Clarence shooting seventy percent from the field. He is a winning player. He's experienced the tournament. That's why you went and got him. There's no moments that's too big for him. He literally battled Baycott, Steepway, KJ Williams, and whoever else. And he's going against a freshman and he doesn't think he can play good against them. It's blasphemy. Hundred percent blasphemy. So like I said, a lot of stuff. To, you know, and it is just playing your best players. It it is. And Noah, if we were to narrow it down, I'll get your thoughts here. We've both been talking a lot, a lot of things to discuss, as we know. There's some other things here. The go-to lineup at the end of a game. I said best players. Foster's playing like one of our best players. He's got to do it. I mentioned on here he needs 20 to 25 minutes a game, and that's what he got. What does the closing lineup need to be? Closing lineup are just ones that play over others. I say we don't see Dalton, we don't see AJ, and we love Troy. He's been playing hard. We mentioned how he's just kind of, you know, and he had a three in this game. He's not – he's he's obviously is what he is for us. But his minutes go down a little bit. We don't – and the whole thing with JD comes into it. I'll leave it here before I give it to you. I'm sorry. I think it all got thrown a wrench whenever Scotty got hurt. It had to have because we don't see Kate at all. If, if Scotty doesn't get hurt, we don't see Kate. He officially redshirts. Brian said a game or two before that to Rodney, yeah, we'll give it about a month and we'll see where we're at with Kate because he was asked about redshirting. And then we know he went to Tennessee State and, and mentioned it. If Scotty doesn't get hurt, then he, he redshirts and everything else. And even JD, so many things play out differently than what they probably expected to start the year. They've been kind of going on the fly. But you got to do it have a better job. So, Noah, what should our main rotation be? Who should play the most clearly? And then I guess maybe your final thoughts on some of these takeaways and I'll narrow down some more here, here at the end. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And the lack of adjustments of rotations here already this many games in and not really um, it's changed every game. Obviously it's matchups or Brian thinks it's matchup based, but um, yeah, I mean the Scotty thing where he getting hurt, but you have to, I still think at that point, why burn Cade's red shirt if you're not going to play him? It just makes no sense. He's a three-star guy, one of the biggest recruits we've had in the last decade, 
and he's glued to the bench every night. Um, it's just the talent is there to compete for that top three in the league, uh, but the coaching isn't there. But the team should be better. Given their, some of these guys' age, they should be better on this team. And it just it, Scotty or JD coming back may change a little bit, but you yeah, it's gonna have to change the the philosophy of playing multiple big men. Um, moving Troy back to his probably his natural four position, I would like to see. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like they're trying to force depth on this team, which we preach about Marcus's minutes. But it's almost like you need to go back to what they did in year one, where they stuck to what what worked with shorter rotations. You saw it in UNLV, the MTE, where they only played three guys off the bench. Maybe you need to do that, but Marcus is going to be burned out. But at this rate, he's going to be burned out either way. So might as well try to find something that works. I would like to see down the stretch. I'd like to see you go with X. Lance at sometimes maybe with the lead you don't want to play Lance because he's a terrible free throw shooter. Sometimes he will shoot you out of the game or cause turnovers and get out of control. Um, but probably X Lance. I'd like to see Foster, um, then Marcus and I'd. It has to be Clarence. It's not going to be. So Troy would be fine. I don't want to see Marcus at the five anymore. Um, he's he's got enough wear and tear. He doesn't need to be banging against the teams. Um, in the valley against big men, so um, maybe JD. I don't see where JD comes in and where the minutes go. Does Clarence minutes cut in half? I don't know. Does Troy's minutes go down? I think you could put Troy back at his natural position at the four. Um, but it's just frustrating. You're getting three guys coming off the or X who's coming along, then two guys off the bench and Jawan and Foster found a role plus what Clarence can give you. Those are the guys you got to go to. Like I said, maybe, maybe that's what you got to do. Just if you're going to, Marcus is going to wear out either way. So cut it down. I'd hate to, it's got to be no more AJ. I mean, it's going to be no, no Cade with JD coming back. And once Scotty's back, it's going to be definitely no Cade. Dalton Banks at this point, where does he fit in? I don't see where because if Lance or if X is coming off the floor, Lance is going to run the point and it's going to be Trent, Trent and Jawan on the wing or Foster. Marcus can handle the ball when he needs to because he, he came out for three minutes in the first half last night for a quick rest, didn't play all the second half. So I'd say shorten it because some of the guys you would think would be better at this age. And I just don't see where. Kate has to fit in, but we already burned his red shirt and he's not playing already. So with JD coming back, it's it's a shame that he's gonna, it's gonna be glued to the bench because I don't know. They got a lot of work to do. They gotta figure something out. They haven't figured it out to this point. So just throwing in another guy like JD, then here in a couple of weeks with Scotty, we'll just throw him for an even bigger loop. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, quickly before and I'll dive into that didn't we hear a report as well on Scotty to when we can maybe see him as well? Did you hear that? Yeah, they they said uh, it would be that Brian before said, after Christmas, right? Yeah, around Christmas. I I think Brian did say potentially Semo, but hold him out if JD's healthy. Hold him out till conference play would be best best case scenario. Um, so yeah, so. Hopefully, and maybe it's like a 
a, a broken hand injury like Avante Cox magically hears faster than we think it should. So um, good news on Scotty. Then we're getting JD back, which bolsters up the inside, but inside gets no minutes. So it'll be interesting. That's the thing. And you can't throw JD in, whether it's a starter or anything, especially if, I mean, it's a back injury, which is a big deal. And because you, you can't expect him to come in and, because he does change a lot. You can't expect him to come in and play a lot. He needs to come off the bench and come in if need be. And that's where it just seems like, okay, well, that doesn't really end. That is how a game plays out as well. We mentioned, I remember initially six to eight weeks at the time and knowing that, uh, you know, when that could be, I remember saying like the middle of January, but having him before, you know, a little bit after Christmas or before the new year would be great. Uh, you're right. And it's not like, it's not like football. You can't wear a club on your hand in basketball or we would have took care of that whenever it was. We know we ha- he hasn't been traveling with the team at all. He's been getting the kind of help that he needs to be able to get back as quick as possible, and there's no doubt about it. And we mentioned how certain games play out differently, and some teams do go more small. We, but Scotty can run the floor, and he's versatile for 280 pounds. He can maybe play in some of these games. We mentioned how oh, things in Oklahoma State play out differently if he does play. You never know. Maybe we don't even get that win because certain things do play out, but – we talked about how there's no doubt he had nine, nine and six in that in that first game against Little Rock, and we said, you know, maybe nine points is a little bit of a stretch. He was three of four from the free throw line, though, and I mean, I don't think I'd say between six to nine points and six rebounds on the dot. If he plays like he, the amount of time that he did, he only played eight minutes, but he also had five thousand that game. So I think that's going to be an issue with him, which we thought all along with Clarence. I think we said right away, too, oh, Clarence and Scotty are going to get in a lot of foul trouble. It's probably still going to be the case. But Scotty adds more points to us, and, you know, he gets a lot of offensive rebounds, sets better screens, rebounds in general, does stuff that Kay did that Scotty would be making a huge impact for us on both ends, as we as we know he would. So when you add him in the mix, and especially with, you know, right away when he comes back, he's got to adjust more with the hand, that that's why some of these injuries are, you know, it's a hand or it's a back with both of our bigs. You and we know Scotty needs to play more than JD. And you're right when you say Marcus at the five, you can't get by with him playing the five. And in the valley, whenever some of we know Rink Mast, we know how big Bradley is. Talk about tough matchups for Marcus. And we talked about oh, getting Musa and Francis Okoro switched on to him. That's going to be Malibai Leon's, Gary's, Hannah, and guys all around the conference. Doubt he can brute with a guy like Brody. Some of the best players in the conference are big. He's not going to be able to do that. So why do it now, you know, whenever you're not going to be able – and that's the thing. These three games coming up can get you in a little bit of a mode of different things you want to do before you play those other games and even SEMO that who knows how it can play out. But, yeah, and the thing is I don't – when you – it's not like Cade – there was probably one game we said Evansville, and it wasn't even all of his fault – Cade has not came in and not played well. And that's why it doesn't make any sense. If you keep playing a kid that's playing well, it's like, he's like, I mentioned earlier, he's got like a vendetta against certain guys. And we talked about it of who's unhappy and who's not. We said, if we're in Foster's shoes, we know how good we are, how great of a shooter we are, how much we can contribute. I'd be upset with the way I'm getting treated. They convinced me to redshirt, which honestly, he could have done this last year, but I do think redshirting him just because it looks like in the moment it's helped him, but he could have done this last year as well. And it's like in the minutes, and now I get 20 minutes. Hopefully I can average that now. 
he should be upset. And Brian says after the game that he's happy. He's happy to be here. Every time he talks about him, him or other young players, he's going to have a long, great career here. And that's how it is initially. You never know because, no, we always envision guys leaving and we put ourselves in those shoes. How can you not when you're not getting treated a certain way like you think you should and you're earning it? That's why we said with Clarence. Clarence is a no-nonsense kind of guy. If he and I, we were texting, and I said, if he if he feels like his ability is being questioned or like that he can't play in certain times, we mentioned that's why you got him. He played an NCAA tournament to an Elite Eight. He'll leave. And Clarence is so good as a true sophomore. Getting him for three or four more years is vital because he could be a great player. He almost is already on the fringe of that. So, yeah, and having those two bigs comes back, come back. Who knows? You definitely, and you're right. Troy at the four makes way more sense. Troy took a coast to coast almost and dicked it out and dished it out to the corner. It's like that's what he was in high school. He was a point forward, and he's gone away with that. And they've changed his skill set, and that's just. I mean, Noah quickly. I mean, just like we mentioned how Stevens flourishing. We mentioned talking about Stephen Verplanken at Weber State right now, twelve points a game. We mentioned Kyler playing decently well. When they come here, Noah, dive in quickly to just on this thought of holding guys back and how we run. Marcus as a freshman spaced the floor. He was great. He was a better shooter than he is now. And we're not strictly posting. If we could play a more team offense, more things can happen. You're not relying on him. No, we're holding a lot of guys back. Jawan Newton was a great scorer at Evansville. He's not getting the looks now. He doesn't, he's trying to get into the flow of the offense and be robotic. They're going, and then they're, we mentioned Noah brainwash. It seems like how these guys are. Your quick thoughts on maybe we're holding a lot of these guys back. Yeah, most definitely. I think it'd be interesting because looking at what Steven's done, the Division Two level, he was he was a scorer, and he came here and we made him into a defensive player. It's just this this offensive scheme is just not what it needs to be. It needs to change, and we need to be running more action, more motion, not just standing and hoping Marcus with 10 seconds left and make a play just frustrating. Yeah. I mean, seeing him doing what he's doing, shooting very well from three out there. Um, but Jawan, Jawan's starting to make some plays here. X is fine to flow on offense. Um, so hopefully that starts to change even more. Um, gonna need a lot more offense here coming up. we got to figure it out. Um, just frustrating that seeing guys get held back. Um, changing guys. I mean, obviously defense is, but it doesn't need to be much as a much of a thing as Brian Mullins makes it. And this staff is apparently making it because with Marcus only giving you so much, and certain guys, um, here and there giving you what they can. I mean, Foster's starting to find a role, so. Yeah, holding guys back, trying to find some things because I know Jawan Newton um, didn't average 14 points a game over at Evansville for no reason. Um, so he's going to find his have to find a role in this offense here pretty quick, like or it could get ugly real fast. Yeah, I know it. It seems like they're and I mentioned the board brainwashed. It seems like that is what they do. They come in here for a defensive first team and you can be a great defensive team, but you gotta be able to not have 
and not be so poor on offense. I mean, you, I'm thinking about some teams around the country that are known for their, and it's at that high level. So I can't even compare. I just think of the Syracuse the West Virginias of the world, you know, but they, but they obviously have their ways about him to have good offense. We mentioned how who's in charge on offense on our staff. We're thinking it's Brendan Mullins. That's what we've been told. That's what it can appear to be. And, you know, we mentioned how Brian is all defense. He's up in the top, whatever, all time and, you know, program history and steals and assists, but he's not, he never, he didn't even score a thousand points in his career. That's just the kind of player that he is. Cause I was looking, and we noticed it before. I just looking at that list and not seeing him on there. So he scored like 800 something. It's kind of player he was. That's kind of player he was, I guess, what he envisioned himself and being a coach as. And then we mentioned how, you know, following and how Loyola is and how Porter instilled it in him. That's just how it is. But you would think that four years now, and it's been hit or miss in a lot of years of certain things playing out to why seasons are the way that they are. But now that you have a team that's projected to be pretty good, that you need to do whatever it takes to adjust to where you don't lose games and you don't let it get out of hand before it matters most. And you're looking at yourself thinking, well, we definitely weren't the team we were expected to be and everyone else's eyes and our eyes as well. Some quick final takeaways that I just remember I just mentioned because they talked to X and Foster in the post game after. And I admire X for he took a lot of the blame. And you know you heard it as well that, you know, he Rodney had to like mention to him about about being a point guard and settling things down and taking charge and like saying how like getting t- tips from Rodney on what it takes that it seemed like X should have already known. His head coach is a great point guard. But I admire X for taking blame on him and himself for not getting the guys, making sure they're not turning it over and blaming himself for his turnovers and not getting them, you know, settled down. I mentioned in those moments, I admired that. And then, but Bucky then asked him and Foster of if their length bothered him. And granted, a lot of guys have different perspectives, but if you're like a combined unit of in what the coach is telling them at halftime and at the end of the game of what's not working, why are they beating us? Why are they getting easy points in the paint? Is there length? And X didn't think length was an issue for Indiana State. And Foster was asked it and said, yeah, I think our I think their length did bother us a little bit. So I just think there's a little bit of a disconnect there with the team and just the chemistry in that sense and on the court need to just evolve more. And we're nine games in. It seems to have needed to be the case. So, And we mentioned these next three games against these bad teams aren't going to show us anything. They're going to show us hopefully – if everything stays the same, which it will in terms of rotations and stuff, it, then it definitely won't tell us anything. If we see any kind of difference moving forward for the team of, you know, instilling JD in and who's who's doing what, then it, then the three games can be worth a crap. But in terms of beating them by 20 or more, potentially, we mentioned Alcorn. We'll get to him in a second. They almost beat us last year, which would have been catastrophic, and it'll be catastrophic again this year if it happens. So Brian definitely felt the booze. And I, I know because he was sitting there watching watching the action and hearing it, he kind of felt – he kind of seemed uh, like uh, – not shook a little bit, whatever another word would be in that in that thing. I know it hits, it, it hits hard with him because he didn't honestly expect it. So hopefully that can ring a bell to him. And then some other things we already talked about. It was a really good conversation. Hopefully everybody enjoyed our perspective and thinking that it's the, it's the, it's the overall fan perspective of what we see and – Obviously, we take a lot of pride in our fandom, so we're thinking we say stuff that a lot of fans would agree on, and that's just the state of this program right now. So 
Uh, I wanted to give us a quick Ken Palm and Net update. We fell a little bit after this loss to 104. We mentioned Bradley was right behind us. They moved up to 98. They had a they had a game, which we'll get to. They had a comeback win on the road. Indiana State are now 109 right behind us. And as we know, Drake is still the top Valley team at 74. And I mentioned before all the other teams we've played this year that there's not a whole lot of more Valley teams that are below us. Um, just scrolling a little, I see Missouri State at 142, and it fills in after that with some teams. Don't have to go through it a whole lot. And then I mentioned net. If I refresh it here, which I wonder, Noah, because they had when they first talked about net, it was a brand new one. I wonder if it changes on a daily, like, because uh, I think they'll start doing net updates, right? I don't think it totally refreshes and updates like Ken Palm does. I still see it's at 84 refresh. So, yeah, that hasn't changed. In terms of Ken Palm, which is important, we only we fell a little bit, rightfully so. So, Noah, like I said, that's that. We'll get into some other things before we preview outcome, but dive into other games Valley teams have had recently, and you can go ahead and dive into previous and then obviously upcoming here at the end of this week and weekend games. Yeah, we uh, Tuesday night, Belmont um, took on Trebekah Nazarene, blew them out um, by 30. Um and uh, Ben Shepard led the way with 16 there. Um, and Kay Tyson also had 13, a really good freshman for them. Um, Valpo beat Trinity 96-60. Um, Nick Edwards led the way with 21 points off the bench for in that blowout for Valpo. Um, Bradley and SAUE, a really good game. Um, very bad ESPN plus SAUE's camera man was awful that night um but led the way ring mass had 12 darius hannah had 12 um really tight tight win impressive win for bradley 56 54 um because i think most have saue winning the ovc this year so um then toledo um was on the road at you and i you and i um close loss 83 75 toledo's really good really good team um, 27 points by Bill and Bourne. Um, he's doing everything he can with an undermanned Panther team. Um, Titan Anderson had 13 and 10. Trey Campbell, really impressive freshman, 15 points for him. They're only playing three guys deep, and some of those guys are playing under 10 minutes. So a lot of those guys are playing big, big time heavy minutes. Um, but last night, Drake hosted Omaha, took care of business 78 65. Brody led the way, 17 points for him. Um, don't see him leading leading the way a lot, 17 and 11 for him. Uh, Illinois State with another win. Colton Sandage, 28 points. Um, really good player, transferred from West Illinois. Really scoring for them really well. 87-81 over Eastern Michigan, who um, has the former number one recruit, Amani Bates, um, who did not do much for them. Um, so, Eastern Michigan, really, it's, I was reading where their top players didn't look like they wanted to be there, so doesn't surprise me there. Evansville with a, a decent win over Campbell, 72-66. Um, Coleman led the way in Toomey with 18, so um, a good win for them against Campbell, who's usually a decent program. Then Missouri State goes on another road trip out west. They're playing a pretty good schedule. Um, but gets beat by 20 by St. Mary's, a really good St. Mary's team. Austin Maton with 12, 
um, to lead the way for the Bears. Um, impressive schedule. Uh, they went to BYU. And then they go on the road at St. Mary's. Then upcoming tomorrow night, McNeese State and Harlan Francois travel to Northern Iowa. Um, then on Saturday and Sunday, uh, Evansville travels to Ball State. Um, an in-state in foe right there. Drake travels to Richmond. That's a really good game. Um, UIC at Western Michigan. Valpo goes down to Ole Miss. That's an interesting one. See how good Valpo. Luck. Yeah, good luck. See how that that's on SEC Network. SIUE travels to Illinois State. I don't know why we're we seem like the only in-state team not playing SIUE at this point. Murray State and Bellarmine. That's really interesting. Uh, Middle Tennessee State and Belmont, right down the road from each other, down in the Nashville area, Murfreesboro. Then IPFW, who blew out SEMO, um, plays Missouri State. Then Sunday, Indiana State travels to Southern Indiana. That'll be very interesting. Great stretch here. And I wanted to go back to that Bradley SIUE game because I remember mentioning to you a crazy part of Joe Lenardi's previous bracketology in the Midwest region, just thinking of some of these these teams that we know really well. Okay, he has Houston as the one seed. And then an eight nine matchup, you know, my Memphis Tigers at the eight, just knowing how it's weird. They're you know, they're in the conference with Houston. It's a weird matchup. They get Texas Tech. After that, though, a five seed Illinois, which we're also fans of, Duke as the four seed, Creighton the six seed, an eleven seed of Kansas State against Michigan State, which we know Kansas State we're familiar with for this season. A really good Arkansas team at three against who he thinks is going to come out of the Valley, the Bradley Braves is the automatic qualifier as the 14th seed. Virginia Tech, the seven, Rutgers, 10, Kansas, the two, facing then those automatic qualifying SIUE Edwardsville Cougars. So just ironic seeing those two match up and a really good game. You mentioned the it was hilarious people posting about those views. They missed the final shot attempt on the main broadcast for when SIUE tried to tie it at the buzzer, didn't get the shot off. Awful. But that's a really, it was a really good game. And just, that just hit me that, and I saw it and I was like, we know so many teams in this, in this Midwest region. It was kind of crazy. So those two were on there and you're right. We're the only, and it doesn't make sense. SIUE should be as every year, just like how SEMO is. And I know it's kind of a different kind of rivalry, but we know the whole sister school and stuff. We need to play them more, but they're playing better than us. Uh, other games, still got, you're right. Missouri State is playing hard or hard teams over there. And we know, yeah, how good St. Mary's is. They kind of changed up their lineup a little bit. I think they put Carper in there. I don't know how long he's been starting. Uh, but there's been off and on games where James Graham's playing a little bit. We know he's coming off injury, not scoring a whole lot, chance more. Did have 12 in this game. I mentioned on the preview talking about a game where not nobody on their team scored in double figures. So they did get blown out there. And then you're right, Harwin can get some whatever on you and I. Every team plays on Saturday. And you're right, Valpo, good luck at Ole Miss. SIU Illinois State is a good game. You're right. No other Illinois school. Or we're not playing them. Everyone everyone else is they're good. They're in the top ninety five in Kim Palm, but they're they are predicted to win the conference, but probably will. Uh and then you mentioned, yeah, because I saw the highlights yesterday of Purdue-Fort Wayne, who's protected to win their conference, kill SEMO, you're right, at the Show Me Center. Missouri State can't catch a break now with some of these games. A lot of good matchups. And then you mentioned that's the biggest one is praying to the to the heavens that 
at USI can at least make Indiana State sweat knowing it's their first home game and God knows how long. For USI, they can bring that good energy and feed off of it. I don't expect Indiana State to have a lot of – clearly a lot of uh, rough patches like we will to be able to get blown out like that. So expect Indiana State to, to win that game 3 o'clock on Sunday. But hopefully it's close for our own sake. So a lot of great games there. You're right. We'll try to cover them early. And even going on Monday, you and I host uh, South Florida, which is an American team. That's a good matchup for them. They're both got about three, five, three, and six records. But that's on Monday. And the only game, in case we don't have one on Monday, to recap, we know some of these games are coming up, kind of spaced out just a tad. We mentioned Kennard Davis had a great game the other night. Haven't looked into it to see how he's doing. We'll try to do it on the next one. We know he's playing well and playing a lot of good opponents and good games for him. So, no, with that being said, let's dive into Alcorn State. I mentioned, uh, you know, we played them last year. I mean, it's good to see that we're playing them again. Like, they're like one of the only few teams that we would accept playing, not year after year, but just again, because, you know, we always say year after year that they're battle tested. They play great schools and it's okay to play them, even though they can almost beat us. They've had, and as, you know, one of those schools, they play incredibly hard teams all year long. They started with Ole Miss, lost. They did beat Wichita State, which I didn't even know that until in this moment. Beat them in Wichita, which we know in the past, impossible place to play. That program has changed dramatically. Uh, And they beat Stephen F. Austin. So I think this might be a better Alcorn State team than in years past. They got killed by Arizona State. Barely lost to Grand Canyon. Got killed by Tennessee lately. That was their last game on December 4th. Uh, Lost by 54 to Tyreek Key, which I wanted to look at that box score real fast, see what Tyreek Key did against those boys. He had 11, and we know he's starting for them. So, like I said, no, maybe they're a little better than they were last year. They're athletic. They can come in and play like they got nothing to lose, and that's I don't think we can afford anything like that. They have a lot of guys that have scored in this season, Noah. They have one guy that's in 30 minutes a game, probably their best player in leading score. Let's dive into him. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a team where last year um, SAU found themselves down 17 in the second half, had to rally rally back to win by three. Um, so, yeah. and we've seen it already this year. I mean, apparently this team doesn't get prepared very well against a lower opponent like USI. So, anything can happen at this point. But yeah, I mean. Landon Landon Bussey's done a decent job with this program. Um, down in the SWAC, projected second this year, um, behind Texas Southern, who's in the tournament every year. It feels like um, Dominic Bruton, um, really good player, six um, four sophomore. Um, he led the way. He had ten points against us last year in thirty six minutes. Um, he's back for them. Um, another guy, Dontrell McCorder, six seven uh, forward. Um, this is a guy that we were in on him coming out of JUCO and Brian's first go around. He had seven and five and four um, last year against us. So um, that's a guy that he's that hybrid big man, um, plays a little bit. Um, but this is a team with a lot of talent. Keandre Montgomery started his career at Mississippi State, now at Alcorn is a really good player for them. So interesting team, obviously. 7 p.m. game on Saturday night. I don't know, expect what kind of crowd you'd have, but this is a team where they'll come in and give you their best shot. They go on the road all the time and play guys 
and play teams and give them their best shot. Um, so it's going to be interesting, some matchups um, to look out for. Interesting to see what they do. Um, the other guy to watch out, the other sophomore, Byron Joshua, is their leading scorer. So interesting matchups. They have him, uh, Joshua and Bruton, both um, averaging about 11 a game. And they have the, they have about four guy, four or five guys that's around the seven eight margin. So spread out scoring. Uh, they have a lot of guys that can hurt you, but gonna have to take care of business. Can't be, can't have a slow start. Can't be whatever they keep calling it unprepared, which. Um, I'm like Rodney Watson. I don't believe in because he obviously sees it with his own eyes. He watches it. So interesting matchups, some hybrid big men they got and like Darius Marshall, like I mentioned, and guys like John Trump McCorder. So um, I think this is a good flow flow game for JD to mix in a little bit, but um, expect to see more of a smaller lineup because they play a lot of six, seven. They don't play a lot of big guys. So, hybrid guys where we can do what Brian wants to do and switch everything. So um, hopefully we can mix in JD, get him back against some, some of these guys. Yeah, you're right. It does seem like a decent matchup for him. And I'm just looking at the roster. You know, we've played clearly way better teams this year. If we look at like how big they are and how it can give us fits. And they have a lot of those guys, like I said, nowhere near the talent of, Oklahoma State's, Kansas State's, Alabama's, and even whoever else, 6'4", 6'4", 6'5", 6'8", 6'7", 6'7", 6'6", 6'7". So they really don't have a true big. They're just all around the same 6'7", 6'8", size. And granted, like some of these guys, whether they play or even not, just the fact that they're big, that's really the size of our center. That's not, you know, a current Scotty or a Cade playing like Clarence and Troy and all of them are about – and J.D. are about 6'8", 6'9". So just – in terms of that, you know, you always got to watch out for the size and athleticism, which we know this team is. And the biggest thing I think with them is they only score 61 a game and they allow it to about 74. And just looking at their stats as a team, you know, you just narrow down a team that is better than they had been and fought in a lot of games against good teams, but they are kind of probably undisciplined. I mean, they shoot 37% from the field. Uh, 28 from three. They're a bad combined free throw shooting team at 68%. I think they're going to shoot a lot. They're not always going to go down. I picture Little Rock or Tennessee State where they just slopped up a lot and, you know, pray they go in and they can beat you if you let them. And hoping that our defense can be – it can be one of those games where we hold them so far underneath, even under 61 a game, which is crazy. If we can do something like that, which I would expect to do hopefully – that can narrow down. You mentioned some of the scores. Yeah. I mean, they're like they're gonna shoot and they're gonna try to score a lot with the with Joshua and Bruton leading the way. So some other comparing the two teams, they get a lot of steals as well. And granted, that's eight through games that they've played those top-notch teams. They're set right with us at 8.1 steals a game. So they can get after you in the passing lanes. They don't assist very well. They're gonna have play a lot of ISO ball and individual ball. They're not gonna really distribute that much. They do rebound more than us per game. And like I said, we almost shoot a whole 10% better from the field. That's where you get them, and that's where you feel like you got to blow them out. They're on a three-game skid, all against good teams. Battle-tested to the core, 89% chance to win, according to the matchup predictor. 
you know, clearly we're not going to know until about 7 p.m. tomorrow, 24 hours before the game, of what the spread's going to be. I think it's safe to say it can be within 15 to 20 points, wouldn't you say, if that is the case? And if you agree with that, or if you think it'll be something different, pick that and then pick a dog of the game. It almost seems like it just needs to be a whole collective team dog of the game and just getting getting just a better flow. But again, it's against a team that can't really take much from at the end of the day. So, you know, your final predictions and your final thoughts. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be, um, I think early in the year when we were talking about um, Kim Palm and their projected record, um, I think they had us winning this game by 19. So uh, I would love to win the game by 19, but I think this team could keep it close for a while, but I think we pull away. Um, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go Trent Brown in this one. I think he can cause some, stay in front of these guys and play some pretty good defense on which, um, ever the two he is matched up with. I like Trent in this one, and I think um, this team would probably can probably be a little, um, undisciplined on defense, and maybe Trent can get loose for uh, about a ten point outcome. And like to see him get going along with other shooters like Foster. Great point. You know, you, we could easily say because he's back and you never know how he could play out that in terms of that, if you win, if you win by a big margin and you just look at it in terms of not a whole lot of other positives to take away, a positive could be J.D. returning, good or bad, depending upon how we see it, that he could pass as obviously a dog of the game just in his return and how he can flow in this game. I don't know who to pick. I, w- I want to pick Clarence because this is a nice matchup athletically for him that if he can get going and by God, play more get than on eight the minutes. Floor. Yeah, he's got to get on the floor first. Um, we mentioned in this three-game stretch, whether it means anything or not, clearly you want to win. You want to get to eight wins before we play SEMO, and that's the only benefit also is just getting you know more wins under your win-loss record. Should see a lot of Cade in these three games. It's all a wait and see. But like I said, they're not very big. They're athletic. They're going to run the court. So that's why I can not see Kate out there for this. I'll take, yeah, 15 to 20. You mentioned 19 for that. And I'll, I'll go with Clarence just for if he does. Yeah, he gets on the court. It's hard to pick anybody else in a game like this. Hopefully, like I said, as a group effort, we can just obviously cha- hopefully change some things up and just get better in general. Uh, so no final thoughts. Yeah, obviously, going to have to shake off these past two losses, especially last night's. Um, Got to find a flow in this offense and get going. Um, obviously, it's going to be a lot easier in these next three, three, uh, including SEMO four games, because you got to win four to go into the conference play. Got to Obviously, the, the level of competition isn't what it needs to be in these next four games, but you can start learning some things and finding some things. Start making adjustments. Hopefully, the staff finally does, because um, all their fans see a lot of things, and even Mike Reese and Rodney are seeing. I just the staff refuses to do it. Brian's really stubborn, so hopefully they start making adjustments, making some changes because it needs to happen um, to get back on the right track. So, got to start off big time. Hopefully, as a decent crowd. Um, not sure. And after these last two games, it'll probably be about what it was last night. I don't remember exactly what the attendance was last night, um, but I d- doubt the dog pounds. It's a Saturday night. Won't see a lot of dog pounds. It was awful last night. So 
Um, the momentum this team had, starting to lose a little bit of it, but it, with four games that are very winnable left, starting Saturday night, taking care of business, get back on the right track. I love the word you use there because that's exactly what Brian is, is stubborn. Like, he will, and he did there, and you alluded to it earlier, that he kind of shut down any potential that would go against what he thinks or what he's been doing, which needs to happen. And, you know, it's easy to say now, but I feel like if we talked to him, we would kind of have that same sentiment and, like, not going at him, but, like, asking him those questions that need to be answered. Uh, And thankfully, Mike and Ronnie do do that, and they do it respectfully, and Brian knows that, but – you're right. He's he's really not going to listen to anybody else outside of what he thinks. And not saying he should listen to outside noise, but he should obviously like listen and do it, even though it seems like what we're doing is right. You would think he knows his team enough to be able to know what's right, but that's not. And then you know that's not what is happening. And it stinks because if you do want to make adjustments, it's got to be in games that truly you know they matter to the win loss, but they don't matter in general. Don't do anything for you. And we know Brian doesn't like the spread out of conference games and. I remember saying that you know I was okay with it getting a taste of it and then waiting, but whenever you have a game like last night where you had it in your grasp and you lose a certain way and so many things went wrong, so many things to take away, you want to jump right back in a conference play and bounce back and not have to just do it against and you have four games before you're able to do it again. And we mentioned how, yeah, if you could be nine and four before Murray State, which again, they're gonna have a 20 or more game home winning streak. Can't wait to dive into them. Very talented. Always a tough place to play. We haven't won there in a long time. Gotten really close. But you have that, and then the new year hits, and then it's and then it's all valley from there. And then it's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy close, no games forgiven kind of season. So yeah, I'm glad hopefully everybody did enjoy this episode. It's one we haven't really done in a while in terms of like being we're always honest, but in terms of like a state of the team and knowing what needs to be said. Hopefully everybody enjoyed that and kind of agrees with what we're saying that things do need to change even nine games in because uh, you're getting guys back and we'll see how this team gets going rotation wise and just flows more heading into these games and into the remainder of the year. So seven o'clock ESPN plus and at Van Terra center Saturday night, you're right. It's getting to the point where students are going to be coming home you know, they can go to those games, but they got other stuff they want to do. And playing against teams like this isn't the end-all, be-all. And not going to have a whole lot of great fans, I don't think, for these games. You're right. And just hoping we can get back on track, as you said. So, for Nick Malone. No alert. Until next time, as always, hopefully we can rebound here. Go dogs.